been a fantastic year, really, if you think about it. God has been so good to us. Amen? Here we are, the last couple of days of 2014, and uh, reflecting on 2015. How, how so quickly um, it just goes by, doesn't it? And to know that Jesus is with us the whole way, that's because he lives in the now. Jesus lives in the now, the very present time. He doesn't live tomorrow. He doesn't live yesterday. He lives where it is present. And that's where I live. That's where, that's where I live. I live in the moment. I live in the now. And knowing that Jesus lives in the now with me is a great encouragement because it doesn't matter what I face in life, Jesus will be there with me when I face it. And um, he gives us the power to overcome. He gives us the power to be living in victory. It's the devil who wants to stall us. It's the devil who wants to try and stop us. It's the devil who wants to try and break us and to make us fail in life. But it is Jesus who is ever present with us that gives us the ability to go on and forward in him. There's a lot in the Bible that tells us about overcoming, and I want to talk to you today about that. Um, and just I've got to go and change my thing because while he's fixed it, he's not fixed it to where I want it to be. I want it to be current and notes. And right. So can I shift it so it's not locked on the horizontal? He's out there. Is Joshua in here? He's another son. This is your son, Joshua. He's very handsome too. He looks like, looks like his mother as well. You don't have any children, do you, Joshua? Not yet. Can you make it so that it turns sideways? Landscape? That's the one. Yeah, I want my notes there. That's it. Good. Thank you, Joshua. So I know if Nathan dies, Joshua is still here. It's a good thing. <laughs> Who else can do this sort of stuff? Let me see your hand now so that if Joshua dies, I know. <laughs> because if Joshua and Nathan both died, I'd be stuffed. Jesus is still here, though. He, he'd help me. Overcoming. Now, 1971. How many people were born in 1971 or uh, were born before 1971? Uh, I was. Yeah. How many people weren't born before 1971? You were born after 1971. Okay, because you will have no idea what I'm talking about to start off with. Because this is when I was young. When I was young. There was a guy called Gilbert O'Sullivan. Do you know Gil Gilbert O'Sullivan? He, he was a sort of like a soft pop singer, writer, you know? And he would write these sort of ballads. And they, would, you know, they were very, very popular. And they were very sort of melancholy sort of ballads. He wrote one that was called Alone Again, Naturally. Now, I'm not going to... I could... You, can rem you rem Who remembers that one? Uh, I could sing it for you, but I won't. <laughs> I'll, say, yeah, I'll save you them. But I will read the lyrics because in the lyrics, there's something that's very... Uh, is very, very I mean, I, the, the only reason that I'm, I've put this in my sermon today is because when I'm thinking about this sermon, this song came to my mind, and I don't know why it came to my mind, and so I started to search the song. I read the lyrics of the song, and I suddenly realized what God was telling me 
through the lyrics of the song uh, that I, w- I wanted to focus on today. So I want to r- read the, the lyrics to the song alone again naturally. Uh, I'll tell you the story behind it and then I'll read the lyrics. So Gil- Gilbert O'Sullivan um, was going to get married one day and um, he went to the church and um, when he got to the church his bride never arrived. She didn't come, she didn't front. And so that was um, extremely traumatic for him and he attempted suicide, tried to kill himself. Um, and then, um, so that's the, the nut from which this song came from. The other things in the song are fanciful. I mean, he made them up. His mother is still alive. In the song, he says his mother died. He, he said his father was alive, but he never knew his father. So he, he was brought up in a single parent family, but... The, the thing that's true about the song was the fact that he went to, to, the, um, to the altar to get married and his bride didn't come. Okay, so I'll read the lyrics of the song now to you and then I want you to look at and see something in there that the devil often does when we hit hard times in our life. So he says, in a little while from now, if I'm not feeling le- any less sour, I promise myself to treat myself to visit a nearby tower. And climbing to the top will throw myself off in an effort to make clear to who what it's like when you're shattered, standing in the lurch at a church where people saying, my God, that's tough. She stood him up. No point in us remaining. We may as well go home as I did on my own, alone again, naturally. To think it only yesterday, I was cheerful, bright and gay, looking forward to who wouldn't do the role I was about to play. But as if to knock me down, reality came around and without so much as a mere touch, cut me into little pieces. Leaving me to doubt, talk about God in his mercy. Oh, if he really does exist, why did he desert me? In my hour of need, I truly am in need alone again, naturally. It seems to me that there are more hearts broken in the world than can be mended, left untended. What do we do? What do we do? Alone again, naturally. Looking back over the years and whatever else that appears, I remember I cried when my father died, never wishing to hide my tears. And at 65 years old, my mother, God rest her soul, couldn't understand why the only man she had ever loved had been taken leaving her to start with a heart so badly broken. Despite encouragement from me, no words were ever spoken. And when she passed away, I cried and cried all day, alone again, naturally. Alone again, naturally. So that was his song. Now we know that the part about his mother and his father was all fictitious. But we know the part about him being left at the church and, 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 and his, his bride never coming was true. And the fact that he, at that point of time, questioned God and his presence with him. In fact, he made this quantum leap from a person deserting him. He said, God has deserted me. He, he looked at his physical, external experiences in life and he made a judgment with regard to God about those things that were happening to him. He said, a woman has deserted me. She's left me in the lurch at a church where people were saying, my God, that's tough. She stood him up. Why point in us remaining? And he immediately said, God has deserted me. In my hour of need, God has abandoned me. I'm left here all alone, 
naturally. Now, that's not true. I mean, he felt it was that way. The deception is always the deception. Believe that that's what's really happened. You really are alone, and that's how it is. It's just life. That's the reality of life. You are alone. There is no one there. God and his mercy is fictitious. It's just something that is not true. When we know that the truth really is something quite different, no matter what happens in life, no matter what happens in your relationships, no matter what happens in the circumstances of your life, there is one constant that always remains, that is always the same. God never deserts you. He's always there. You are never abandoned. You are never alone. He is always there. I will, he said, I will never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you where you might boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I shall not fear what man shall do unto me. But this is the thing that we have to overcome. The overcoming issue is this issue. We have to overcome the circumstances that tell us lies about what God really is and who he really is and where he really is. We get so deceived by the things that we experience in life that we think our experiences are more real than the reality and the truth of God and his word. And we're told we have to overcome. And the point that I want to make this morning in this sermon is that overcoming has to do with keeping your eyes on the truth, keeping your eyes on Jesus. And even though the circumstances in life may look grim and may look dark, if you keep your eyes on Jesus, you will overcome because he does not change. He is always there. The Bible says lots and lots about overcoming. It says in Revelation chapter 2, verse 7, To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. So we're told that in Revelation that if you overcome, you're going to get to eat of the tree of life in the garden in paradise with him. That's a wonderful promise. He says, He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Now, the second death we know is, the, is hell. He says, if you're overcoming, if you keep on overcoming, you're not going to end up in hell. He says in verse 17 in Revelation chapter 2, To him who overcomes, I will give from the hidden manna to eat, and I will give him a white stone, and on that stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. So he's going to give you a new identity. When you get to that place where he lives, where you eat of that tree and you eat of that special manna, he's going to give you a new name, a name that is a, a name that only you will know, and it will be written on a white stone and given to you, it says there. In Revelation chapter 2.26, He who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, I will give him power over nations. So you'll rule and reign with him, the Bible tells us. That if you overcome, you will rule and reign with Christ. These are all great things if you're overcoming. This is the scary one. This is the one that puzzles me and kind of perturbs me. He who overcomes will be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot his name out from the book of life. I mean, I stopped and I read that and I thought about that. I thought, you know, if I fail to overcome, does that mean that you will blot out my name from the book of life? He's not said that. But the implication is there that overcoming now has weight behind it. If you don't overcome, then he has said, sort of like he didn't really say it, but he said, I'll give you permanence if you overcome but if you don't overcome the implication is you won't have some level of permanency with me i'll blot your name out from the book of life yeah we we're going really well until we hit that one 
<laughs> we were going really nicely because I think, you know, everybody thinks we overcome, you know, and it's, you know, if we don't overcome, he's faithful when we are faithless, you know, and we get that sort of feeling like, Jesus, you look after the gaps, you know, you look after the things that fall out. But, you know, I, I want to overcome mostly, you know, but just generally, I, I, you know, I don't, you know, but most of the time I, I want to, you know, I, I know I want to, but I don't, but I want to. And so now it becomes difficult because when we're talking about overcoming, we're actually talking about actually having to do something. Not just talking about something or wanting to do something, we actually have to overcome. We have to have victory in our lives. He says, and I will confess his name before my father and before the angels. And so he's going to be proud to know him by us. You say, yeah, this is Phil. Phil's an overcomer. And angels, I'd like to introduce you to Phil. Phil Kaufman, he's here now. He's, he's going to eat off the tree of life. He's an overcomer and I like his name. I'm going to give him a new name because Phil Kaufman's the old guy. Uh, he's going to have a new name, whatever it might be, Saint such and such. It'll be giving you, uh, uh, that's an interesting name, Saint such and such. I wonder what that means. <laughs> and you get a new name and he's going to introduce you to everybody up there. So, he, hey, praise God for that. Revelation chapter 3. 12 says, he who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. So that's something very strong. It's able to hold a lot of uh, weight. A pillar is what's on the corner of this beam here. This beam across the center here is uh, you know, a beam that's holding weight. The raft is going between it. At the end of that beam, there's a pillar. It goes right down to the ground and right into the, um, into the concrete. That pillar holds a lot of weight. It holds a lot of things. So when you made a pillar in the temple of God, he says you're going to be substance, you're going to have security, you're going to have strength, you're going to stand there, and there's a lot of things going to be weighted off your life. Like you're going to carry a lot of stuff. Well, that's kind of responsible, isn't it? Responsibility, heavenly responsibility be given to you if you're a pillar in the temple of his God. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down out of heaven from my God. I will write on him my new name. So you're going to get a new name from him, his new name and your new name. You're going to all have a new identity in him. Revelation chapter 3 verse 21 says, To him who overcomes I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I have overcome and sat with my father on his throne. So that's an amazing scripture there, to sit with Christ on his throne. And in Revelation 21, verse 7, it says, He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. So we're all going to be sons and daughters of the living God, and his bride, if we overcome. Which is all very nice, except one very, very ugly reality. Jesus said in, in, in Matthew chapter 24, And because of lawlessness or wickedness or sinfulness, and because it's abounding, the love of many will grow cold. Because, of lawless, because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end, he who overcomes, will be saved. And the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as witnesses to all the nations. But then the end will come. So the love of most will grow cold. That, that, that's not a good look. Uh, it, most is a, the majority. The love of most will grow cold. Because it says iniquity will increase, and we know that iniquity has increased. How has iniquity increased? I mean, the bad things that people are doing are still the bad thing that people are doing. Yeah, I know that they're the bad things. All the sort of stuff that they did years ago, they're still doing. It's still the same bad stuff. 
But the trouble is it's in your living room now and it's coming through that box in the corner of your room and you're seeing it every day and your kids are seeing it every day. It's there in your face the whole time. When they go to school, they hear about it. They're playing games on it on the sports. They get their little thing and they... And every time it's going bing, they're killing somebody. Murder and violence and all kinds of things are happening in front of them. It's increased to such a point in time where we are being bombarded by it to the point where we are losing the fervent the fervent love that we have for God. You say, well, what would you rather do? Have lots of fun here or read your word? Read? Don't read. We just have this experience of playing. Bing, bing. We just get involved with the experience. The experience is weighted more than the truth. We're living in a society where experience is more important than truth. It doesn't matter what's truth. It just matters how you feel. The most important thing in life is how you're feeling. And if it's not feeling good, then life is a miserable thing. And if it's feeling good, then life is... It doesn't matter what's true or what's not true. What only matters in our lives these days is how we're feeling. And if we feel like sin is going to be more satisfying, then we won't say no to sin. We'll say, yes, satisfy ourselves. And tomorrow when we feel bad about sin, we'll say, sorry, Jesus. It's all about the way we feel. And that's the, that's the thing that's determining our actions, our feelings, our experience. And we have to learn to overcome that so that we don't live by experience. So that we don't live by our emotions. So that we do live by the truth of God's word. And that relationship with Jesus is the relationship that guides us in life. And if we know that that's the case, and Jesus said it's the case, when it says most, I don't want to be part of the most. You can get a crowd of people there. You can get 150 people sitting in front of you. And if the Bible says most of them their hearts are going to grow cold and they're not going to overcome. That means most of them aren't going to get there. Most of them are not going to get there. Many will come on that day and say, Lord, Lord, haven't we done all these things? And he'll say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I didn't, I didn't even know you. So when it says most of their hearts will grow cold and they're not going to have, but you must stand firm there. It's a warning thing for me. It says most means that I've got to be part of the minority, not part of the majority. That means I'm going to have to start doing things different to everybody else. If everybody else says it's okay, well, I'm going to have to start thinking it's not okay if everybody says it's okay. I'm going to have to start thinking what does God say is okay. I'm not here to define what's right and wrong. I don't need the crowd to tell me what's right and wrong. I need the Word of God to tell me what's right and wrong. And I need to live there and do what the Word of God says in spite of what my friends are doing. We want our children to be lion killers. I want my grandchildren to kill giants. I want them to be men and women of God. So much so that they'll be like David. While tending the flocks, a bear comes and a lion comes and he slays them with his hand and his slingshot. Be like David when Goliath comes and he looks and he sees this man defies the will of God and he takes a slingshot and takes him out with a stone. I want our children to be giant killers, overcomers. I don't want them to be sitting there hiding under a rock and, and being scared of a giant that comes walking and saying, 
hey, come and fight me. I want them to be the minority. And they will not be the minority if I don't choose to be the minority. My children will only be what I am. If I choose to play it easy and have sort of a compromised life, then my kids will most probably be less committed to the thing than I am. But if I've decided to follow Jesus with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my mind, with all of my strength, with everything I have, and I'm going to put him passionately first, then my kids are likely to go with me and put Jesus passionately there too. I want my kids, I want our kids to become lion killers. I want them to overcome in a generation that is not overcoming. I want them to be different in a generation where everything seems to be looking the same. And there's only one way we can get there, and that's to take Jesus with us. It says the love of most will grow cold. Well, love of God is the first and great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That's the first. So that's going to get cold with people. Well, they would love other things rather than love God. They would love this world and the things in this world rather than love God. They won't seek after God. They won't hunger after God. You won't see them walking around and finding some place to, to open the word and to read it, to, to understand something, and then coming to you with eyes filled with tears, having a revelation from God in their spirit because God spoke to their hearts. God in the quiet place and the secret has spoken to their lives and it's changing their lives and directing them and guiding them and steering them. That's the love of God. It's more important than anything else the focus point of our lives most important thing says jesus if you keep this one great command you kept them all and it will grow cold we love other things fashion music games television movies and sports we get all excited and jump up and down and scream our lungs out at a football match we can't even raise our arms when it comes to worshipping Jesus. We need to look at ourselves and say, what's it going to cost to be part of the few? What's it going to cost to overcome? We're going to finish this year. What's it going to cost to launch into next year and have victory in next year? Love of our fellow man, love of others. I mean, we don't have a problem with love, self-love, do we? I mean, everybody, I just got to believe in myself. I just got to love myself. We got that really on tap, really. But the thing that we don't have on tap, we don't really love other people. We love ourselves more than we love other people. And we love God less than that, which is a problem, hey? So I think that Jesus' word is true. I think that's really happening. I think, I think that we can sit in and we, can, we could fill our church up with lots and lots of things happening in the church um, and still have people not there because most will grow cold. So this, this idea of enduring to the end really is something that you and I have to really look at our own personal lives and say, Lord, if it's most growing cold and you said it, Jesus, and, and whatever you said is true, then I'm really going to have to look at my life and make sure that I keep my heart clear before you. This is between me and you, Jesus. I've got to, I've got to make sure that this relationship stays good. Well, Jesus said something to give you some a bit of an indication. In Luke chapter 11, verses 21 and 22, he said these words, When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are in peace. Well, that's, 
That's kind of simple to understand, isn't it? Okay, this is a strong man. He's guarding his goods, okay? And he's, he's alert. So I'm the enemy. I'm coming at him. So when I'm going to go, you see, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to get, <laughs> I'm not going to be able to get through. And the reason I can't get through is on a watch. He's watching. He's watching. He's guarding. Is that good for your respiratory system? <laughs> wow. But when a strong one of him comes upon him and overcomes him, he takes away from him the armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. So somebody stronger than him comes along and he's not watching now. He's not looking. He's not paying attention to what's going on. What he does is he, before he touches his spoil, he takes away his armor. So he can't fight. Or he does to him depowering him, taking away his strength, taking away anything that he would fight with so that he can't rise up and fight. That's what Jesus said. And we're told that in, in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 27. And they says, you know, therefore putting away lying, let us... Speak the truth one to another and to his neighbor. We're all members of the one body. Be angry and do not sin and do not let the sun go down on your wrath. And then it says these words. Do not give the devil a foothold. In one version it says a place for the devil in that version. It basically means this. If you like, you can give the devil an opportunity in your life. So you give him a place where he can actually rest and sabotage everything you're doing. If you like, you can actually give the devil a place where he can live inside of you, whereby every time you try and do something, he will cause you to fail. And the reason why he's be there is because he'll take away all of the armor that you think you have and he'll render you powerless before him. And you'll say, well, I go to church and I experience the singing and I love what's going on at church, but I don't have any power to live a victorious life. I don't have any victory in my life. What happens in my life is I collapse and I fall all the time because he beats me every time. And you might say, how is this? Jesus is meant to be the one who gives me power. He says, you live, let the devil live there and he's undone you and he's taken away the armor in which you trusted. The Bible tells us what that armor is. We're told in Ephesians chapter 6 that the armor is the armor of God. Stand therefore having girded your waist with the truth. Now we can tell. We can tell if you think about it. We can tell whether you, the devil is there, he's undermining it. Now truth is a very interesting idea. Truth is the truth. It is true. Whatever is true is true. I read an article just, just yesterday about a guy who wrote an article about science actually proving the existence of God and that our earth is, is so finely tuned. It's so, there is no possible other earth anywhere in the whole of the universe that could be like our earth because the odds of our earth being actually made and surviving, even the universe being made and surviving, is so great, it can't be anything but the act of an intelligent being creating it because it just can't happen by chance. just can't happen by chance. But that doesn't stop, doesn't stop people denying the truth. It doesn't stop people writing about it. And when you go to school... 
You can believe because you heard at home that God created the heavens and the earth. And you read all the books and you heard it preached at church. But when you went to school, somebody in school, ah, that's just hogwash. It's all rubbish, you know. And that tacks the truth. Now, you just let a little bit of crack open up there and it takes it into your heart. You doubt the truth. So now you doubt the truth. You let the devil come in. He takes a little foothold there. In your mind, he says, you know, maybe it's something other than creation in seven days. Maybe it's something like um, evolution and God working together. We'll call that theistic evolution. And create an idea of doubt that God couldn't actually do it in six days. That he'd have to maybe use evolution because science is telling us that Evolution, well, actually, science doesn't tell you that evolution is reality. Science actually tries to deal with it, the problems of natural law, the problems of mathematical law, the problems of chemistry law, the problems of rationale law, the problems of the ethos of life. They, they don't know where it all comes from. They don't know how it all holds together. They can't explain it. They still haven't come up with an explanation for it. They just don't know. And science says, we don't know. But it has to be billions and billions of years because we can't even conceive that it could happen quickly. But it gets into us and we begin to doubt truth. So we doubt creation. We then began to doubt, well, does he, does he, did, did Jesus, was he really who he said he was? Did he really come? Did he really do? I mean, no. Uh, and it, all the doubt starts to come in and all the things that we used to believe. We used to believe that Jesus healed it, but we don't believe that anymore because, I don't know, my uncle died of, of sickness. And the doubt creeps in. We say, well, what's happening in our lives? What are you losing? Yeah, well, there's a, there's a, there's a foothold there, a stronghold there. And the devil has taken away the armor in which you trusted. The truth on which you've, you rested your life is now being corroded piece by piece because you let the world in. You let the world in. You didn't go back to Jesus and say, Jesus, show me the truth. Jesus, re re reinforce the truth of my life. You just started to let the truth get corroded. You know, the breastplate of righteousness, it starts to corrode. You know, this is the righteous life that Jesus gives us, not because we did anything of our own, but because we were clothed in his righteousness. He came and gave us right standing before God. And yet, you know, you know what you were thinking the other day. He does too, you know. He doesn't love you as much as he loved you yesterday because you're thinking the wrong thing, aren't you? You know that. And all of a sudden, there's a crack in your righteousness. You can't stand there and say, thank Jesus, there's no now, condemn now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You start to undermine that and your feelings begin to dictate to you that Jesus maybe doesn't love you as much as he did yesterday because you're thinking things that you shouldn't be thinking or doing things that you shouldn't be doing and you live a facade you live a, a face out in front of people you, you try and pretend you're righteous but inside you're secretly doing the wrong thing because you think that that's okay because you can't do anything about it righteousness has been corroded it's no longer a weapon in you. It's no longer a protection for you. It's been undermined and you sit there thinking, I don't know, I'm not a very good person. I'm not as good as Pastor Jerome. You make comparisons. But I'm not as bad as that guy, so maybe if God's got these scales, I'm, I'll get there because I'm halfway. Wrong notion, wrong idea. And you go through every one of those armors. You look at them, the shield of faith. Being able to confidently... Testify about God's goodness and his salvation. The gospel shod, feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. The sword of the spirit. You think about it. Do you use these things on a daily basis? Are they your strengths? 
or have they been corroded? If they've been corroded and you see them that they're not so strong in your life, then maybe you need to have a look and say, you know, did I let the devil get in somewhere? Because he's taken away the armor in which I trusted. And once he's taken away the armor in which you trusted, he is going to steal, rob, and kill and destroy your life. So we can see that he's active. And we need to overcome. In Romans chapter 8, verses 35 to 37, we're told, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution or famine, nakedness or peril or sword? He's drawing our attention back to God. He says, what are the things that are going to separate us from the love of God? He says... Shall tribulation, that's hard things happening to you. Distress, that's brokenheartedness. Or persecution, they're external things. Are those experiences that you face in life, those difficult, hard things, are they going to separate you from God? Well, your friend dies. Is that going to separate you from God? You, you lose your job. Is that going to separate you from God? People say unkind things to you. Is that going to separate you from God? People reject you. Is that going to separate you from God? What can separate from you from God? You have an accident and you lose your big toe. Is that going to separate you from God? He says, nothing is going to separate you from God. Nothing is going to do that. Nothing can do that. We are more than conquerors through Christ who loves us, he says. He says, you are being fed like to the lions every day. We are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep to the slaughter, he says, but that doesn't separate us from God. Now that's the lie, you see. The lie is that your circumstances tell you something about God, tell you that God is somehow some move somewhere. God doesn't move anywhere. He stays constant. He always loves you and he's always ready to pick you up. He is always there. He's never abandoned you. He's always ready to forgive you. He's always there to strengthen you. He's always there. He's, his love is always there and his strength is always there made available to you. And if you just turn to him and look at him, he'll be there for you. That's the truth. Nothing can separate you from it. I mean, the, the devil wants you to look at the things in the circumstances around your life. He wants to get your eyes off the truth. And we need to end this year with confidence that next year we're going to be mighty in strength for Jesus. We want to end this year saying, if you trip me up this year, devil, you're not going to do it next year. This year I will run. Next year I will sprint. You're not going to have control in my life because I'm an overcomer. In fact, I'm more than an overcomer. This is what Jesus says. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. So what do you expect when you're in the world? Tribulation. Everything that's, everything, tribulation is everything that's nasty. Anala, everything that is nasty is going to come at you from the world. Expect it. I mean, there's one thing that you've got to expect in life, and that's that people will not understand where you're coming from and will probably not like you. If you're really standing up for Jesus, you're going you're to probably face a whole lot of stuff coming at you. And from the most unlikely places. Sometimes from the people closest to you. That's just the reality. Sometimes the enemy of a man's household is worse than anybody else. 
And when you stand up and go for God, sometimes it's the ones closest to you that don't understand it. And they're the ones that put the knife right through the joint somewhere and turn it a couple of times to make you feel like, God, you've abandoned me. I want to tell you something. Expect it. Don't sit back and say, I am shocked because this has happened. No, expect it. The godly will suffer persecution. Get used to it. Expect it. Fortify yourself for it. Get ready for it. Arm yourself ready for it. I know this is a bad place to be, Jesus, but I know if you're with me, it doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter who likes me and who doesn't like me. What really matters is that you love me and I love you and I'm doing your will and that's what matters. And that's the end of it. Get yourself ready for that. Because the devil will try every which way. He will try every which way to try and undermine you. But he says, this is what Jesus says, in the world you will have tribulation, but be a good cheer. (laughs) What does that mean? (laughs) Have a laugh. (laughs) Everybody laugh. (laughs) You're not laughing. (laughs) You're smiling now. (laughs) Be of good cheer. Look. What are, you, what are you being good cheer about? You're being a good cheer that Carlos is going to get worse next year than it was last year? Is that good cheer? No. It's, it's, Daisy's already experiencing it. It's not good cheer that the bad things are going to get worse. I mean, that's not nice that bad things get worse. It's not nice. And I don't know how bad they're going to get, but I know as the coming of the Lord comes, it gets hotter. It doesn't get colder. It gets hotter because the pressure's on. The Bible says that the devil is thrown to the earth and he's thrashing around because he knows his days are short. You know what? The devil is not happy about you loving Jesus and he's going to try his hardest. He's going to send as many bad angels as he can to try and bring you down and undermine your walk so that he can send you to hell. He wants you in hell. That's the devil. So you get ready for that. It's going to get bad. But he says, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world, he says. Wow. Now look. Now there's something to be happy about. If I know that my friend, he has power and can overcome. Well, you know what happens when I walk down a street, a street that's got bad people in it? I know my friend can overcome, so I get real bold. <laughs> you think you can have? Get him. <laughs> Go on, get him. Get him. <laughs> oh, you will if you need it. You see... When you are in the right company, it does amazing things to your confidence. That's the cheerful thing. If I can remember that I'm in the company of Jesus, and when the devil comes to tempt me with things that he would find that he has tempted me for, but I remember that I am in the company with Jesus, and Jesus said, be of good cheer, I overcame the world, then I know that if he overcame the world and I'm in his company, I can overcome the world as well. I like that because I don't have to be scared about hardship. I don't have to be scared about what's happening. All I have to do is remember, I'm of God and I have overcome them because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. That's all I have to remember. 
Yeah, you see, we think that overcoming is is something really difficult that we have to do, something really hard we have to work at. You don't have to you don't have to work at overcoming. If you are more than a conqueror, it means you stand on the sidelines and you watch Jesus do the fighting. It's just that you agree with him. Jesus, I don't want to touch that stuff. I'm going to agree with you, Jesus. I'm stepping into you. Now, Jesus, you deal with that situation. Now, I'm leaving it up to you and let Jesus deal with it. We get into trouble when we try to manage it for Jesus instead of letting Jesus manage it himself. Peter says this, and Peter ought to know, because you remember Peter, he did some really wild things when he was with Jesus. He says, The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. He says, the Lord knows how to deliver you. Hey, don't you think about that. God knows how to deliver you. There was this boat and they climbed into it. And Jesus had disappeared. They rode out into the middle of the ocean and the winds picked up. It was a demonic storm. And Jesus said, oh, well, I better go to the fellas now. They seem to be struggling rowing the boat. He comes walking on the water to them. And they are shocked. They've never seen anything like this before. It must be a ghost. No, Jesus says, it's me, guys. It's me, it's me, it's me. And Peter's sitting in the boat and he says, Lord, if that's you, you bid me come. You tell me to come to you. So he's sitting in the boat there. And Jesus stands up and he says, come to me, Peter. So Peter has to get up and stand in the boat that's being tossed around. He's having to hold himself. He has to get onto the side of the boat. He's climbing onto the seat now. He's going to have to put his foot over the boat. He's going to have to put his foot onto the water. He's got his eyes on Jesus. He's now standing on the water and he starts to walk. The Bible says he walked on the water to Jesus. Notice what happens next. He is distracted. His eye is distracted from the Lord. And he feels the wind and the waves. And he feels the call of the air and the storm about him. And he is filled with fear because of the situations that are external to him. And he begins to sink. And as he's getting wet on the shins... As he's going up to his knees, as he slowly sinks up to his hips, he looks back at Jesus and says, Lord, save me. And he writes, the Lord knows how to save those out of temptation. And we're told that the Lord picked up his hand, lifted him up, and immediately the boat was on the other side. Immediately, the boat is on the other side. Wow. This is not effort. Peter, how did you do that? How did you get out of that problem? You know, how, how did you, Give me the 10 steps to delivering yourself from the, the watery grave. There's no 10 steps. Write a book, Peter, on five ways to escape the, the, the death of, of drowning. There's no five ways. He says, just get your eyes back on Jesus and holler for help and he'll be there. Of course, he never leaves you, nor does he ever forsake you. Know, overcoming is quite simple, you know. Get your eyes back on Jesus and holler for help. You know, if you're caught by a sin, the only reason you're caught by a sin is because you don't want to look at Jesus when you're doing the thing. 
Because if you decide to look at Jesus when you're about to sin and say, Jesus, help me, he will deliver you from it. If you, if you believe that he is there and you're, you're being tempted and you think, oh, I'm so tempted, and then you look to Jesus, Jesus, help me, he will deliver you from your temptation. Is Jesus really wanting to deliver you from it? No, he wants you to live somewhere else other than even in temptation. Remember the prayer that he asked you to pray, Lord, lead me not into temptation. He wants you to live a life which is not even going anywhere near temptation. This is the life of victory. I mean, if I never got tempted, I wouldn't have a problem. You only get tempted because you choose to look somewhere else. That's where the temptation comes. You choose to look somewhere else. You choose to look at the emptiness of your wallet. You choose to look and say, there's nothing there. Then you choose to think, it's because I don't have a job. And you choose to dwell on that. For a... Stop. You look. There's nothing there. His grace is sufficient for me. He said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want and I haven't wanted. There's nothing there, but I don't need anything to be there. Daily bread, Lord, give me this day my daily bread. And then the temptation of anxiety and stress because you don't have the money that you need for the things that you think you need. It goes away because you're honouring Jesus and you're putting Jesus in the centre and going, so Lord Jesus, you look after that. You look after that. I'll trust you. You look after that. You get your eyes on Jesus. Hebrews chapter 12 says it very clearly, and I want to read this to you. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by such a great, such a great cloud of witnesses, now Hebrews chapter twelve just occurs just before Hebrews, after Hebrews chapter eleven. In Hebrews chapter eleven, we get a whole list of people who live by faith. These people love God and they obeyed God, and it didn't matter what they they, they just believed in God. Noah built an ark because he believed God was going to send the flood, and God sent the flood. Abraham journeyed from the Ur of Chaldees because God told him to go and wherever he went, he was going to give him his land and that's where we get the Jews from. He gave him children. He didn't have any children. God said, I'm going to give you a son. He waited till he was 100 years old before he got a son. And Sarah was 75 years. She'd gone through menopause and then she got pregnant. And it was like, I warned my wife, be careful. We have a wonderful God. We actually talked about it the other day, didn't we, Jen? Oh, shut up, Mark. Don't talk about that in church. I said, what would happen? What would happen, love? If whoa. <laughs> so chapter eleven is full of these men of faith. Oh look, some of them had they had faith in God, and even though they believed, God didn't give it to them. They were killed. They were sawn in two. They were they they died hungry. Some of them didn't get the promise. They they waited, but they believed. They died in faith, believing. And they, so he, he says, look. He says, seeing the, look, I've gone through chapter 11 and there's this huge crowd of witnesses that, that show you the fact that having faith in God is what it's all about. 
I mean, the Hebrews were, were wanting to go back to the old traditions. We're wanting to go back to the old ways. You know, the thing that was secure for them, the old ways, the offering sacrifices, the old thing. They didn't like this new trendy thing about loving Jesus, you know, living with the Spirit of God. It was too little out there for them. They wanted to go back to the old traditions. And so he's now exhorting them. Mm, don't do this. Don't do this, he says. Since we're crowded, crowded with so many people in your history who have had faith in God and even died in their faith but have been honoured by their faith in God, he says, he says, therefore let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily ensnare. He says, because there's a temptation on for you to quit, look to those who overcome and those who have faith. And believe. Get ready to lay aside everything that would kind of weight you down. That would kind of depress you. Get ready to lay aside every sin that so easily ensnares. Well, one of the sins that so easily ensnares is the sin of unbelief. It's this thing like, can I really believe, Jesus, that you were there for me? Can I really believe that you will provide for me? Can I really believe that you, you care about my situation? That even though other people don't recognize me or love me or, or treat me well, but you love me and you care. Can I believe it? And the, the sin that so easily besets us is the sin of unbelief. It gets in there and it creeps away. And we have to rip that unbelief and say, you know what? I believe. Even if I die, I believe. I don't care what people are saying. I don't care. I, I have faith in Jesus. This is the way it's said in the Word of God. You can, you can give me any science magazine. I don't care what they discover. This is what the Word of God says. Everything is foolishness. I'll believe Him. And every man's a liar. And I'll get rid of the thing that's so easily... And if it's coming through that box in the corner of the room and it's talking to me and, and making me feel depressed all the time, and I'm, I, this happened to me once. I sat down. I used to watch TV. Yes, and I used to watch Terminator. I watched that movie with my son. And now, oh, yeah, I watched the movies. And one day I can, I can remember sitting there and I'm thinking to myself, you know, this is just, it's just getting into me all the time. And this stuff is getting into me. And then I get to the table and my kids are saying, we want aeroplane jelly, aeroplane jelly for me. And I'm thinking to myself, the advert's now coming across the table at me. And I made a choice. And not everyone understands that choice. You've got to hand switch it off. No, I've got, a, I've got arms, I threw it out. I pulled it out of the wall, shoved it up in the cupboard, when my son took it out of the cupboard and plugged it in when I wasn't there, I took it out of the cupboard and threw it in the bin. So, yeah! <laughs> so that they could grow up with faith. And when my little girl reached 18 and she got non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and she was stage four by the time we got to her, and they, said, they looked at her and she said she's a goner type thing. Stage four is just one stage away from stage five, which is death. Growth's in a... Rose in here, I was so glad I got rid of that thing because what she had done is she'd listened to Christian music and she'd build up her faith in Jesus. And so round the ward, she put scriptures, the Lord is my healer. And all around she had balloons and she began to fight with her faith and belief in Jesus. And they said, you won't have children. Now I've got three grandchildren. Glory. Why is that? Why is that? It's because God is faithful. 
Don't give him a foothold. Don't give the devil a foothold to undermine where you're going. Don't let him undermine your kids. Don't let him undermine your family. Get your eyes back on Jesus and hang on to Jesus. Hang on there. Hang on there. The road is going to get rough. It will get tough and you will be alienated because of your faith in him. And people will look at you and say, you are narrow-minded and over the top. So be it. I'll be narrow-minded and over the top because I want Jesus. Amen. I want Jesus. I want Jesus. He's mine. He's mine. It doesn't matter what people say. It matters where your heart is. It matters where your heart is. And salvation is for them that overcome. And overcoming is about your focus on the eyes of Jesus. He says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. Get your eyes bored into Jesus. Get focused into Jesus. Soak up Jesus. End this year with Jesus in the center of your life. Not anything else. Jesus, only Jesus. And start next year with Jesus in the center of your life and say, Jesus, all the way with Jesus. This may be our last year. It may be our last year. Jesus may come back before this year is out. Jesus, be the center. Let us be overcomers in Christ. Uh, Jesus warned us in Luke, be careful of your hearts or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing and drunkenness and the anxieties of life. And that, that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who, of those who, who live on the face of the earth. Be always on your watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. I want to just... I've had, I've had opportunity to go and be at a couple of parties over this festive season. Friends, it's not how close you can walk to the world that counts and not get your hands dirty. The issue is how clean your heart is before God. How clean your heart is. Don't try and compromise. Don't try and play. We've got New Year's Eve coming up. New Year's Eve, what is on Thursday? Wednesday night? Wednesday night, is that what it is? New Year's Eve? Wednesday night, Wednesday night. What usually happens New Year's Eve, you know? Well, guys like Phil used to used to drink themselves into oblivion. So it'll be a testing time for Phil because he'll sit probably quietly in this place listening to godly music. What's it going to cost you? Your party. The party. The party. What's it going to cost you in the end? What will, what will it cost you in the end? to walk a compromised life. You see, you can't afford to be half-hearted at this stage of the game. What's needed is a full-on commitment. That means all or nothing. This is all for Jesus. All for Jesus. Oh, you're too crazy, Mark. You're so narrow. <laughs> Broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many are on that way. 
Narrow is the way that leads to life, and few are those who find it. My friends, the love of most grows cold, but he who stands to the end will be saved. Let's pray. Let's be those who overcome. Amen? Stand up if you want to overcome. I want to overcome. And Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your exhortation at this final, final Sunday of this last year, Father. We thank you that you're reminding us again that by your spirit, oh God, you are indwelling us for us to be victors in you. That we will be triumphant in you, Lord Jesus. That we would overcome in you, Lord Jesus. That you would be the center of our lives, Lord God. And that it wouldn't matter, doesn't matter what anything else is going on around us, Father. Jesus, you be the center of our focus. Be our true love, our heart, our wholeness, oh Lord Jesus. And Lord, help us to put aside the rubbish and the, the riffraff and the shallowness and the, and the superficiality and the shallow fun and the shallow enjoyment, Father, and help us to cleave unto you, Jesus, to draw into you, Jesus, to draw our nourishment and our refreshment from you, Jesus. We ask this in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said... Amen. God bless you.